Thanks for tuning in to this Grit Pop-Up Podcast, a series dedicated to bringing the community together by sharing authentic stories featuring art and tech leaders on the Space Coast. I'm your host, Christy Bushler, and today I'm here with retired NASA engineer and passionate musician, Tony Wynn. When did you fall in love with music? Well, every Sunday, we were living in England at the time. My dad would put on these jazz uh, albums, you know, guys like Dave Brubeck, uh, Stanley Turrentine, uh, John Coltrane, to name a few. And I guess I must have been about four or five. But I would lay right down next to the, uh, they call them hi-fi system back there, the stereo system. Mm -hmm. And I would look at the album covers. The music uh, became, per se, part of my DNA as a child. And that's what I I became um, accustomed to, is listening to music and being able to hear a lot more than, per se, somebody else would hear. So I would dissect the music. And um, it always was a part of me. And as a kid, I could understand the concept of jazz. I didn't necessarily uh, know about scales and, and, and chords and things like that, but I understood the language of, of jazz as a, as a small child. Did you have a mentor that helped you with finding your way with the musical instrument of the saxophone, or no, was I, there someone that actually inspired you to go that route? Well, my, my dad was a, was a, a clarinetist when he was in high school, and he wanted to be a jazz musician, but you know, after getting married and having kids and everything, he wasn't able to pursue that, and that's why he went to the Air Force, because he had to take care of his family. Mm-hmm. But um, my younger brother, Michael, my dad uh, wanted to keep him busy, so he bought him a clarinet. When I was, um, and last year in high school, my brother just totally quit playing clarinet. He wasn't interested in it. So I asked him, could I borrow it? He says, yeah. So he showed me where to put my fingers, how to get a sound out of the reed. So when I went off to college, I took the clarinet with me. And I would play along with albums and things like that, whatever music I heard. But I never really had had the belief that I could actually do something with the music. And um, I would, like I said, I would listen to a lot of different music. I remember one evening I took the clarinet and I went in the stairwell of my dormitory because I like the acoustics. So I'm sitting at the, at the bottom of the stairwell playing my clarinet. Mm-hmm. Within about maybe 20, 30 minutes, I started hearing some rustling and I looked up the stairs and there were 20 people sitting on the stairs listening to me play. Your first audience. My first audience. <laughs> in your dorm room stairwell. In my dorm room stairwell. And I, That's and amazing. I, and it, it, it's, it's strange because I really didn't make a connection that people were getting into what I was playing. I just thought I, maybe they were just curious, but I never really thought I had any talent. And then um, I heard um, an album a guy introduced me to a group called Steely Dan. And there was a song on there called Deacon Blues. 
And I heard the saxophone player on there. His name was uh, Wayne Shorter. And I heard him play. And then I'm looking at this clarinet. I says, I need to get a saxophone. <laughs> so at the time... That was I, that defining moment. <laughs> yes. And at the time, I had been working in the cafeteria, you know, to make a little extra money. And I saved up my money. I went to a pawn shop, and I bought an alto saxophone. So I moved from clarinet to alto saxophone. Beautiful. So you have mainly played jazz throughout your love of music and your discovery of the clarinet and then the saxophone. Yes, and, and, and that word jazz um, is what people use to describe what I play. Okay. But actually what I play is what's coming out of me and it sounds like jazz. So. You know how society is. They like to categorize everything. So You're I've right. been put in that category. But to me, I consider it spiritual music because it comes from a place where my spirit resides. But it just happens to sound like jazz. How long have you lived on the Space Coast? Okay, long story. When I left school in the um, early spring, I came down um, to live with my father because he says that they're hiring at the Space Center. And I'm like, well, I don't, I've never done any that kind of work. Well, he says nobody has because he was an engineer out there. So I put in an application and finally they called me. So I was driving back and forth Orlando. Well, unfortunately, I had a little conflict with my stepmother. I don't, I, I don't know exactly, maybe she didn't like me or she didn't want me there, but eventually I had to move out. So I was homeless for about two weeks. Wow. So what I would do is after work, I was on uh, second shift, after work I would sleep in the parking lot and um, to the next day, and I would get up, get out of my car, go in, take a shower, and I'd work. And I did that for about about two weeks. And then finally a, a, a close friend said, why don't you move to Titusville? Because I didn't even give it a second thought. He says, why don't you move to Titusville? You'll be closer. And it only takes 20 minutes to get to work. So that was, I think, in about 1983. So I, I, that's how I ended up in Titusville. Because okay. I, I wanted to get closer to work and I was actually commuting back and forth from Orlando. But yeah, I was actually homeless. I lived in my car for like two weeks. So how did those two weeks define, like, did it really make an impact on you as far as like what you thought about as far as priorities? I realized that back then my, my mindset was you can't depend on anybody but yourself. So that means you have to minimize the wrong choices that you make because there's not going to be anybody there to pick you up. We would get paid every two weeks, so I got my check and I per paid my first <laughs> and last month's rent. Funny story, I had about maybe 20 something dollars left. I had a full tank of gas. I took the $20, bought a head of lettuce, I bought, bought tomatoes and onions. I bought a big bag of uh, frozen french fries. 
I bought a big container of, they used to call it old time lemonade or something, bought a big container yes. of this powdered lemonade. And I took the rest of the money that I had and I went to the bait store and I bought like two dozen shrimp. I went to the Titusville Bridge and I must have caught like almost 15 to 20 shrimp. Wow. I mean, excuse me, 15 to 20 trout. Wow. <laughs> Came home, cleaned them. So I ate, I had a salad, french fries, and fish. I ate that until my next paycheck. And then I realized right then, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. Right. And that was another defining moment for me that I could do it myself. You know, I could get through hard times. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about not giving up, you know, um, not giving up hope and, um, you know, trusting in God and, and he'll see you through those, those tough times. So I, I've read that a lot of people credit you with shaping the jazz culture on the Space Coast. What do you think about that statement? Well, well, here, here's how that happened. For a long time, you know, the word on the street was that I wasn't a real musician because I played the tracks and I've never been musically trained or anything like that. But, but see, that, that doesn't come from the, from the general public. That comes from possibly other artists that uh, uh, don't think I, per se, paid my dues. Mm. But um, after a while, I started getting recognition. And there were musicians out there that were on the same wavelength as I was. And I says, man, I would like to play with you. So when you uh, start composing your uh, songs or even just the rhythm behind the songs, um, what do you find inspiration or your muse? Well the, well, the process of creating music with me is it's always an emotional thing. I like, it's funny, I like very rhythmic music. First I start with the tempo. So I'll start with a drum beat. And that sets the tempo. Then I'll come in with the bass line. And then I'll get on the piano and I just start playing these chords that fit with them. Like, okay, that really sounds nice. And the saxophone is the last thing that I put on there. Really? Yeah. That is fascinating. It's the last thing that I put on there. So I always do the rhythm section first. And okay. then I'm listening to it, and, I'm, and then I'm saying, okay, because I play alto, tenor, soprano, and flute. And I'm looking, and I says, okay, who wants to sing on this song? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice for young artists or musicians? Yeah, so my advice for young artists and, and musicians, learn all the techniques because nobody really taught me and I developed a lot of bad habits, you know, that I'm still trying to get rid of now. But learn the mechanics of your instrument, you know, um, learn the techniques, you know, as far as how to approach that instrument. and. Listen to someone that you admire. See, I used to listen to certain musicians. And, because everybody takes from everybody else. Every musician takes from some guy that, or, 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 or woman that they really admire. 
take some aspects of what they do and apply it to yourself, but don't copy it, but use it to help you develop your own voice. Because I look at music as, as a conversation. So when you carry on a conversation, you don't say the same thing that everybody else is saying. So again, uh, develop your techniques, uh, learn your instrument, try to find your own voice and don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid or intimidated because you don't sound like everybody else. Because imagine if everybody played the same. Right. There'd be no variety. No. So when you're getting ready to perform, is there are there certain things that are like you have to have like your like certain shoes, is there a certain way you like to dress? Do you have like a, a lucky like penny or, or something like that that you like to bring on stage? Well, well, well it's weird. Some, somebody re referred to me as the Johnny Cash of jazz because I always wear black. And reason why I always wear black is because I don't want my appearance to be a distraction. So Tony, how can the audience learn more about your music and see you play live? Well, I use the social media a lot to notify people when and where I'm playing, which is basically Facebook. It was funny when I first started, I, I was on MySpace. <laughs> and then, did you have your music on MySpace too? Yeah. And then everybody left. I'm like, where did everybody go? And I said, oh, they got this new one called Facebook. I said, okay, I'm going to move one more time and that's it. So I went to Facebook and most of my um, um, performances I post on Facebook, at least a week or two weeks in, in advance. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your passion mm -hmm. and, and what drives you with music. Mm -hmm. It really was an amazing story. I, oh, thank you. I really appreciated thank it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Grip Pop-Up featuring local jazz influencer Tony Wynn. We really appreciate him sharing his message of being yourself and not being afraid to be different. For more, please visit GripPopUp.com.